This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. There's a balance to strike between functionality and aesthetics, for sure, and I appreciate that. I think the examples you gave of how, in a linear fashion, architecture has been quite different when you look at location to location. Really, this comes down to the design of a city and urban planning. And we're living in very different times where the sewage systems, the proximity to natural resources, whether you're close to an ocean or you know whether you're close to a big flat piece of land, that all impacts the way you design cities for sure. Um, you look at Europe and you look at London, for example, Wow, the road system is very, very confusing to navigate. It's twisty and turny. You talk about Florence, you've got the most beautiful little streets and you know, across Italy it's like this too. But what we have to remember is at the time, the context when, when cities were designed like this, cities were perhaps designed around defense. You literally had the threat of armies coming in and invading and a city would be enveloped by a fortress, a castle, right? And we go to these places because a, people are living there and it's amazing how they've adapted. B, it's so different than what some of us might, you know, unless you're a listener who's from these places. Very different when you're living in a sky high rise apartment. You're living in, you know, a farmland in a, in a flat area and you go to these historic places just to see how people live, right? And people have made it work. On the other extreme too, Unfortunately, wherever you go in the world, um, there are tents, there are homeless people, there are slums. I've been to slums in India, I've been to slums in the Philippines, and it, it is really heartbreaking to see, um, not that people are living in small- Don't forget San Francisco. <laughs> for sure, but I, I mean- yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Large parts of the population too, you're right, you know? Um, you're, you're, a large part of the global population doesn't have, you know, the space that we, m many of our listeners would probably take for granted. But it's not about the size of the space you live in. It's about the quality. And I've been to places where, you know, there's dump sites. And it's just, there's so much pollution. There's so much danger, you know, with children playing around next to these dump sites, they can easily cut themselves and injure themselves and catch diseases. And, you know, we're innovating and trying all these new things in major tier one cities but it isn't yet reaching. It's not reaching the global population that really needs it. And my, my theory for this is, it's the result of a capitalist movement. When you have a capitalist system, and I'm a VC, I'm a venture capitalist, right? I invest in many of these startups. They have to find a way to go to market. And even things like prefab modular homes are starting out at a minimum of $50,000. Now that sounds very affordable when you consider the construction costs today, but $50,000 for a very small, tiny studio. Yeah. And that's just, and I'm giving you an average figure, right? The actual manufacturing price could be a lot less, maybe 30,000, but these companies need to have a margin. So I'm throwing 50,000 out there because that's the number I hear most often. And I've talked to maybe 20 different companies that are, are in the space, right? But that price is a function of A, a cost plus approach where you have a gross margin. B, there's a market here in corporate America. There's a market here for institutional hedge funds and private equity funds to take this, buy plus of land and dump them everywhere and sell them to the Department of Defense and sell them to cities, right? 
Um, it's a blessing because, you know, if you live in the West, um, you can take advantage of these, but I don't see how these solutions can really be scaled in other regions. You know, you, you're also limited, and I gave a $50,000 number, right? You've got to remember, these are massive, massive pieces of, of I'm going to say hardware, right? Materials that you need to take from a factory and transport. And that transportation is a big deal because sometimes you need permits. You might have to even close highways down or roads down. And there's a real, you know, significant cost to delivery and installation. So these are some of the economics behind, and we're talking, I guess, now about prefab and modular. You know, we just happen to be talking about that right now. But Yeah, well, that was a, that was a big area specialty. And most actually my clients uh, for a few years were modular uh, construction companies. So. And, and, and so here we are, we've got a wave of these companies. I'm an investor in, in one of these companies, Boxable, that has done fantastic as an investor, right? One of my best investments I've ever made. Um, but there is a real crisis in terms of how to scale this, you know, and, and all of these companies that need factories to produce, they're sold out. There is demand. But for some reason, the economics are, are difficult to scale beyond a certain amount of production. You know, you can only produce so many a day and you need massive factories. Yeah. Uh, well, so, I mean, I, I think this is this is the, you're <laughs> you're you're pointing. I mean, you, you've said a lot uh, that there needs to be local solutions. Um, and, you know, in, in, in architecture, they, they call it vernacular architecture, right? The architecture in, you know, Morocco looks extremely different than Paris, right? But they're, you know, as of plane flies, they're not that far away, you know? And each one of those grew up around a whole bunch of, of different circumstances. It's effing ridiculous to ship, um, you know, some sort of modular unit, especially to, you know, a lot of, um, I don't, I forget what the, the correct term is, but, you know, the developing countries, I know it's not a right a word, but like most, most of the, the were, uh, most of the countries that are, that are the, uh, at the bottom end of, of the capitalist system, uh, are in warm climates. <laughs> I'm just gonna, just gonna say it. And, uh, and they don't need heavy construction. In fact, heavy construction, a lot of times the vernacular architecture is, it's like, it's like, it might be in a, a really nice shed, you know, or a really nice, uh, you know, biodegradable, um, you know, thatch hut or something like that. And that's the way they built for a thousand years and they need to go back to, or like, that's, that's the ideal. Or there's some hybrid, right? Um, the point is it's different everywhere. And this goes back to, it really relates to my earlier point, which is, you know, the towers in, uh, what is it? Boston Seaport, they don't look that much different than New York and they don't look that much different than, uh, San Francisco and they don't look that much different than Seattle or LA, right? All these glass towers, they look pretty much the damn, and I could really pick them apart why they're shit designed. Um, somebody can edit that out, but it's really shitty. <laughs> I mean, in terms of performance, in terms of what, and and this is like relates to some of the prop tech stuff is like, you know, you're you're, you're having like building efficiency uh, uh, add-on tech layers uh, for an inherently uh, uh, inefficient design. If you just started with the good design, you wouldn't need the fit. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, so really starting with that elemental, yeah, the, the, the elemental uh, kind of uh, what's the, um, the platonic uh, housing unit. <laughs> um, but but that's going to that's going to really be different um, from from. And the difference is is generally why capital markets don't invest in anything. They don't they don't invest in anything innovative, you know. And so micro apartments became. And I know you. I think you've had uh, you know you've had some co living people. And I was deeply <laughs> deeply involved with the co living world. 
And um, and co-living, uh, I mean, some people uh, say it didn't work, and I'm going to say it, it, it didn't work because uh, it was it was it, first of all it was a hedge, you know. It was like we're gonna uh, we're gonna adapt these you know this unused inventory and you know and 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 rely on technology to to um, you know change sort of the structural problems with this building instead of like starting from scratch and like making it making really good integrative design part of the part of the plan um, instead of kind of throwing this somewhat superficial and 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 debt laden uh, more importantly uh, layer on top of you know on on, on top of a building uh, that you know is is still kind of old school by design. And you know, co-living, we make the mistake of looking at co-living as trying to replace what single family offers, what multifamily offers. And I, I offer a new way to think about this, that when you look at the life stage of human being, there's a time and a place when you're young where co-living is a phase of your life that is something you should, you know, perhaps experience. And when you look at it that way, there is definitely a market for co-living. I actually in, invested in a couple of startups personally that are, are part of that trend, right? And I think the big realization was that you're, you need to be very specific with who your market is. And in major urban areas, there is a market for co-living. And really, some people would say, look, it's just taking a hostel and upgrading it. And then and that's true. Hostels make a lot of money. Well, I have a point on that in a second, but go on. Yeah, and then the other the, the, the other extreme of, of co-living might be these really cool exotic locations where people can go for a few months, you know, a retreat. So those are two extreme examples where whatever they're called, whether it's called a hostel or a meditation retreat, they're all examples of places where people want to co-live and be part of a community. So by Back to you. I know you've got thoughts on this. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and and uh, well, first was uh, I uh, I wrote a white paper uh, that was published about bringing back the residential hotel as a you know as a uh, as a way of uh, handling actually San Francisco's uh, uh, homeless problem. This was in two thousand late two thousand sixteen, early seventeen, and know this sub and essentially again looking at historical models that worked you know uh and 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 it's still true of 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 most countries where you have um hotels where you you have both temporary uh guests and you also have long stay guests they were i i forget i i I want to say it was something like 15% of san francisco's housing stock around the turn of the last century was these type of you know because it was a you know, it's a port town. You have people. You know, they, they might be just going there seasonally, or they're passing through. And 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 for a lot of people, that's yeah. For you know, a lot of people are doing that for ten years. You know, <laughs> and um and and this was what I if I had to to do it over again, and I've and I've definitely tried to push this. Um, is is just unlock like deregulating the hotels. We got we got hotel units for days. You know, call them micro apartments, call them co-living, whatever you want. The architecture is no different. Like, really, it's not. You have a lobby for a communal space. You might have a restaurant. This is this is not reinventing. Um, so sometimes it's it's a matter of of, of really looking at the past for uh, successful models. But you know, it does require. Well, I mean, sometimes it requires uh, some some policy change, uh, which is uh, something that I'm not afraid to get into <laughs> and make make a make a fuss. Um, uh, like for shame you know like because because really the, the implications are serious here you know people are hitting the streets like homeless people didn't plan to be homeless you know they ran out of affordable housing situations and a lot of them were made crazy by the streets you know it's not it's not fun out there you know um and but 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 i mean not even you don't even have to go that kind of far down the socioeconomic um 
you know, ladder to, to look at just, you know, uh, single people, you know, people moving into town for the first, you know, the, the kind of the core of the co-living demographic that it, that it hits. Uh, unfortunately, I think because of the, because of the relative high cost of, of co-living, I, you know, I visited a co-living place on, on Minna Street. I won't say which one it was, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was like 2,500 bucks for, you know, this was like four or five years ago for a, for a converted SRO unit. And you can, you know, you can get something very comparable, you know, at the time for, you know, a thousand dollars less. Once you have your bearings in in a city, uh, that you know the the co living market ha- tends to mature out. Uh, it, it, I mean that's that's my general experience, and it's mostly it's mostly cost driven. So if you can integrate that into the into, integrate it into the the platform, you know, like the kind of the flexibility of, of living and stuff like that, I think there's you know there's I know there's a, a, a humongous market. And if we think of co living as a way, um, not not as an asset class, but as a way of living, right? Which is yeah, really yeah. what it is. I am really hoping to find startups that approach the problem more as an operating system solution. By that I mean you could have a homeless shelter, you could have an orphanage, you could have a senior care facility, you could have a drug rehabilitation center, you could have a domestic violence shelter. All of these are examples of people co-living together. Now I've chosen Mm. examples to be provocative that aren't very easy to monetize. We're all used to hearing about the tech co-working villa, you know, and the retreat center where you can pay big bucks, thousands of dollars to have yoga, etc. But putting that aside, because that's easy to relate to, we do see models of co-living today we just don't call them that. We, we brush them aside as a social initiative. But it, it's sad because a lot of prop tech solutions monetize um, where the money is, but there has to be a way to monetize and do good. And so for me personally, I'm, I'm really hoping that, um, you know, I can find a startup that approaches that and, and makes that a way of, of, of being. Well, I got a startup. <laughs> I mean, so here's... Um, and I, uh, so my, you know, my, I don't want to say it's my latest startup. I've been working on it for over two years. And basically I started at the, at the end of 2019 and, you know, a thousand miles later, <laughs> and then a lot of, a lot of stuff in between, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still pushing it. And, um, so it's called run house and, uh, yeah, I have a kind of a holding page at run dot house. How do, how do I start talking about run house? Uh, wait, wait, what were we just talking about here? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, m- I remember, I remember an article, reading an article and, um, and this was around the time of, you know, kind of co-living's heyday, if you will, 2015, 16, 17, something like that. And it was something to the effect of, uh, people actually develop relationships and community by going through experiences, right? And by going, actually going through hardships together, right? Like if you've been a startup founder, you've feel certain kinship to the guy that you, you know, gal that you've stayed up till, you know, whatever. So in the same way, you know, we were bonded to family because we fight with them all the time, right? <laughs> and we're, and, and, and our roommates or the roommates, you know, that we kept in touch with or something like that. So anyway. You got, so, you got people that live in a submarine for years and people in the military too, that as a byproduct of their work, they're together and that's, they're in the trenches literally. Totally. So believe it or not, re- removing all pain points is 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 actually a liability to 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 forming community, right? If you have it as too non-participatory, no one gives a shit. You know, it's like it, so you're saying that when we have our four walls, we don't really get to know our neighbors. There's no forcing function, a place where we all commune, whether that's shared bathrooms, a shared cafeteria where we have to eat in. 
mandatory places to go and visit. Is that what you're saying? For sure. Yeah, I, I can't find it. And 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 listen, I'm 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 45 years old, and I don't and I and I I, I claim exemption to some of these rules, <laughs> uh, and, and 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 that is relevant. You know, like I'm not a kid, right? Like I don't have the same expectations of housing. Like it was absolutely fine for me to share a bathroom for a really long time. Now I kind of like my own, you know, <laughs> like, and, um, yeah. So, um, I remember hearing like an architect and he was saying something about kitchens and bathrooms and like negotiating kitchens and bathrooms, right? Cleaning up the kitchen, cleaning up the bathroom, use of the bathroom. And like, yeah, that's how, you know, that's how intimacy is, is in, in relationships. And I don't want to say like, it has to, I do refer to the college dorm as a, you know, so many people talk about the college dorm being the best part of their lives. But then they're like, oh, but I couldn't live with X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, why don't you not live with X, Y, and Z? Like a dorm does not mean you have to have a shared shower. It just means that you have your friends living down the hallway, you know, um, and that and that you have like a place where you tell stories and you make stories together, right? 